Hey everybody, Jim Minnery here on I'm Glad You Said That. Thanks so much for tuning in today, Wednesday, January 19th, 2022. Uh, and I'll say it one more time, I'm not sure how long I'm going to say it, but uh, I'm glad you said that is uh, formally Family Matters, and we have uh, changed the name because other places have the name Family Matters on podcasts and broadcasts across the country. And as we expand, we want to um, have some uniqueness to our brand, as it were. And I'm glad you said that is typically what I'm thinking when I have people on every week across the country and across the state who are influencers in the political, cultural, social realm. Today, very uh, pleased to have Senator Mike Shower from the Valley uh, on the show today. Mike Shower is, shall we say, uh, zeroed in on the target of judicial reform. And I say that because he used to fly F-22 Raptors, um, Air Force guy, uh, FedEx guy now, and just a no-nonsense, you know, he doesn't pull any punches. And so it's a delight to have him on the show today. I hope you enjoy it. We're going to talk primarily about uh, judicial reform, but there'll be some other things that we go into as well. But that's one of the the biggest things that we have uh, in our sites as well, because it's it affects affects everything that we do. Um, I would I do want to thank our friends over at Rieger Physical Therapy. Please go to RiegerPT.com. That's R-E-G-E-R-P-T.com, and avail yourselves of the wonderful services that Cortland and his team of physical therapists provide over there. Very good at their craft and uh, very supportive of the things that you and I care deeply about. And so just kind of going through a a little grocery list here, as it were, with seven minutes remaining in this first segment. If you haven't got your tickets yet to our 2022 annual spring dinner, that'll be with uh, Dennis Prager of PragerU. Um, A lot of folks are asking, how in the world did you get him? Well, it helps to be part of a national network. Um, and the more you know, you grow, the more you come up with different people who have different contacts and all that stuff. So anyway, we're, we're very blessed to have Dennis Prager, who, as you know, is a best-selling author and columnist, one of the most respected uh, and popular radio show, talk show hosts in America. Um, uh, his program, Prager U, has, uh, I think it's nearly 5 billion views now. Uh, it's just unbelievable to think about uh, what he started in 2011 with um, Alan Estrin, who's another fascinating individual, has just flourished. And it's just yesterday I saw one on the Palestinian question. Um, so it, it's it's a I can't emphasize and, and uh, encourage you enough to go to PragerU and sign up and make sure you get those five minute videos because people are busy. They you know they don't have time um, to dive into deep um, to deep books and get educated on a lot of these issues. Uh, and so Dennis Prager gets the top folks in the country uh, on these on these issues and the experts uh, very plainly but thoroughly give you a synopsis of the issue. It's like Cliff Notes. If you remember Cliff Notes, I guess they still have them now. But anyway, PragerU is just something to behold. It really is uh, an amazing resource, and we're so blessed to have Dennis here. Go to akfamily.org. We're not sold out. We're getting close. It's not till May 21st. It's only in Anchorage. Sometimes we have our dinners in other locations, but it just wasn't possible with... uh, 
with Dennis Prager. Uh, but it's going to be at the Hotel Captain Cook. We're selling. We have sponsorships available. One of those is already sold out. Um, the lower level sponsorship. So right now there's a uh, higher end sponsorships and a few remaining individual tickets. So uh, please go ahead and get those because we will be sold out here very soon. Um, and again, go to akfamily.org and uh, and you'll find more about that right there. Um, so in regards to the um, to the discussion today with Senator Shower. One of the things that I just sent out um, that I want to read, uh, if I can find it here, uh, <clears throat> on on our site or our uh, our platform to all of the folks through email. If you haven't signed up, uh, we encourage you to do that. Please go to akfamily.org and subscribe. Uh, we don't inundate folks, but we do try to keep you educated and, and activated as we can. This last one I sent out, though, was a... Um, an announcement of the show today, and I want to just read this quote. Um, you know that was uh, that, that, that folks in the left, I would say, are hopeful that most people don't see, and that's one of the reasons why we have it in our uh, discussion today. Anyway, it was from the book Alaska's Constitu- or Alaska Constitutional Convention, written by Vic Fisher, who's the last living delegate of that gathering in 1955 to create the 49th state. And here's the uh, the consultant's report regarding how the judiciary was set up in 1955. They say, these sections in particular, and I quote, these sections in particular, however, go a long way toward withdrawing the judicial branch from the control of the people of the state and placing it under the organized bar. No state constitution has ever gone this far in placing one of the three coordinate branches of the government beyond the reach of democratic controls. We feel that in its desire to preserve the integrity of the courts, the convention has gone farther than is necessary or safe in putting them in the hands of professional of a private professional group. Uh, I, I'll read that to, to Senator Shower today as well, as we've we've talked about this n- numerous times when he's crafted some of these bills. One of them is a constitutional com- uh, amendment. Um, we would have to have that in place in order to change the way members of the Judicial Council, at least the, the attorney members of the Judicial Council, are selected. Now they don't have to go uh, through the legislature for confirmation the non-attorney members do, but not the attorney members. And so that means the Alaska Bar Association, and we've actually done a poll, we've commissioned a poll um, with a group, a, a, um, a survey group, to uh, va- verify. We always knew that it was the case, but we were uh, curious to verify it, taking a, um, a study and a look at all of those bar members and what their political affiliations are. And lo and behold, what do you know? They're much, much more liberal than the general population. People know that, uh, you know, that, uh, that have the slightest understanding of the Bar Association and the attorney population in general. Um, not to say that there aren't really good conservative attorneys uh, and judges, but just not necessarily in the state of Alaska in force. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that the, the, the consultants knew back then, and we know now today more than ever, is that uh, the judge, uh, the, the judiciary is not reflective of the people. And that's one of the things that I think that I hear uh, Senator Shower say all the time. We're not necessarily wanting to have 
the judicial system be conservative or liberal. We just want it to be a balance, and I think that that's healthy. Um, and also we want it to be a reflection, which is basically what's the what's happened on the federal level uh, with confirmation or the, the judge or the justices have to be appointed by the president and then approved by the Senate. Um, and that just means that elections matter. And so when, a, when we get a, a president that reflects the more conservative values, then we get, um, then we get what we got with Trump. Uh, if that would have not been, if that election hadn't turned out the way it was, well, we can guarantee ourselves that Hillary Clinton would have appointed other folks. And so, um, and, and, and by the way, the liberals would have not, had no problem with that because they, they respect the federal system and it works their way. They just don't, uh, they have a real problem with going the other direction. Um, so anyway, we'll talk about that and, and as well as the Constitutional Convention. Right after this first break, folks, we're going to be talking with Senator Mike Schauer here on I'm Glad You Said That. Stick around. We'll be right back. Jim Minnery with I'm glad you said that. Um, I am very privileged to have Senator Mike Schauer on the line today. Um, uh, thanks for joining us today, Mike. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Jim. How are you? Good. Uh, you know, just um, trying to prioritize lots and lots going on, obviously, with the start of the new year. And of course, COVID seems to be just gnawing away at everyone's freedoms again. And uh, <laughs> not sure when that's ever going to end, but. You know, before we get started here, I, I, I told you offline, I, I wanted to mainly talk about judicial reform, which we're both very interested in. But um, for those who don't know Senator Mike Schauer, uh, just give us the bio, the 30,000-foot level, um, so that uh, so folks know who the heck you are. 24 years in the Air Force, uh, stationed in Alaska twice, a resident since 1993, uh, retired about 10, 11 years ago from the military, went into uh, FedEx, flying as an airline pilot. Just enjoying life, having a good time, and for some reason, the momentary lapse of reason, I think it was Pink Floyd, I, uh, I started volunteering myself a little more into politics, and the next thing you know, I sit in a Senate seat going, what the heck was I thinking? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, we are glad that you're there, Mike, because, you know, you're a voice of reason and clarity, um, you know, and we've talked about this quite a bit, but it's coming up again, not only because of... Um, you know, we're continually having to deal with uh, an overzealous Supreme Court that uh, that does what it's not supposed to do. That it's not what it, that not what it's constitutionally called to do. But they have manufactured and taken away all sorts of different rights. Um, and so, I look here on your current legislation. There's a constitutional amendment regarding membership of the Judicial Council. And there is a um, uh, selection and review of judges, SB 14. So tell folks, first of all, what the, uh, what the SJR 2 is, which is your constitutional amendment regarding uh, judicial counsel. Why did you introduce that? So let's go back in history, and I'll try to make it relatively quick. And as you know, Jim, I'm a fast talker, so I try to keep my foot. That's that fighter pilot coming out of me. I just talk real quick. But yep. you go back in history, you'll recognize some names like Pete Kelly, John Coghill, that have also tried the Judicial Council naming um, conventions several times for, a, for that amendment into our Constitution because it says right in there, 
you know, when you read in Article 4, it talks about that the members of the Supreme Court and the Superior Courts will be picked by the Judicial Council. Well, the Judicial Council, when you look at it, how it was set up in Alaska, we have what's called the Missouri Plan. And it essentially says, and I'm really going to the very base level here, it's a little more complicated, but the essential elements are that the Alaska Bar Association, a trade association, picks from amongst itself who is going forward to the Judicial Council to be vetted and then nominated to the governor um, for sitting on the bench to be our judges, you know, our superior, Supreme Court, district courts, et cetera, et cetera, magistrates, you name it. Which means that when you go to the Judicial Council, Jim, you have three civilians who are picked and vetted, you know, by the governor and then the legislature has to give them an up or down vote so the people have a pretty strong voice in that selection process. But when you go to the courts themselves, the Judicial Council also is made up of three lawyers from the Alaska Bar Association. Every time there has been a tie, and there have been a number of times in the state when the civilians disagree on that nominee going forward to, be, to sit on the bench, and the lawyers think it should be somebody else, and there's a split, three lawyers and three civilians, every single time, because the key note here is the tie vote, the seventh member, is the Supreme Court Chief Justice, also a lawyer, also a member of the Alaska Bar Association, and also was appointed by the Judicial Council back in the day. Do you see the problem here, Jim? We have a system where a trade organization, a guild, essentially, gets to pick who sits on one-third of our governmental branch, and every time there has been a disagreement amongst the civilian population of who that should be, the lawyers side with themselves. We have essentially a cobble of power, and when you talk about the politics, because they try to tell you, well, it's not political, we have this brilliant system, it's great, it's, it's outstanding, except that about two-thirds of the ABA, the Alaska Bar Association, are registered Democrats. So they lean politically left, significantly left, and they're activist judges. And I know we're going to talk more about that, but I wanted people just to understand that why we are where we are, why we have a very leftist and, and activist judge system, and how they all ended up there. Because a good conservative person that's a lawyer or a Republican won't put their name forward. I've had, we've had two dozen judges, uh, well, actually, yeah, some judges retired that were willing to speak to us, Jim, and others that are lawyers said they, they were treated not fairly inside the system because they're conservative, and they would, the new ones would never put their name in because they don't want to get dragged through the mud. And they also know that if they put their name in and it comes out through the vetting process that they're conservative, they're going to make arguments later when they don't get picked to be in the judiciary. They're going to be making arguments as lawyers in front of judges that know now that they're conservative and they're going to lose. These are the things they have told us. I'm not making it up. These are what they tell us. They are afraid to be picked to be a judge and then not get nominated because it, they're, they're outed, essentially, as a conservative. So well, and people the, need and to understand why we're here. It doesn't have to be this way. And I guess you know, so many people would say, well, it's just the way the system is. Well, it's not in terms of you know, some states actually elect their judges. Some states right. um, don't have – the majority of states don't have something like the Missouri plan that gives so much power to this cobble of, of lawyers that, like you said, I mean, we actually commissioned that study – uh, of the um, of the political parties of the bar association, and it was stunning. I mean, it's a, exactly reverse of what the state is, is what the That's bar right, association right. is, and it's so ironic that they continue to shout from the mountaintops. They, meaning uh, Chief Justice, former Chief Justice Carpinetti, and the group, uh, you know, Paul, or uh, uh, Justice Not Politics, which is the group that formed, that's now well funded, and will fight you guys down there um, on your efforts to have any kind of incremental adjustments. 
I want to read something from a book. Uh, I believe it's by Vic Fisher. It's Alaska's Constitutional Convention, and I know you've seen this, but I I want folks to to hear this very clearly. It's a report um, that was given to the original delegates, and basically. Um, while they concurred with the basic objectives, there was an outside consultant group that um, that said this to the Alaska original delegation. These sections in particular, and I'm quoting, these sections in particular, however, go a long way toward withdrawing the judicial branch from the control of the people of this state and placing it under that of the organized bar. No state constitution has ever gone this far in placing one of the three coordinate branches of the government beyond the reach of the Democrat controls, Democratic controls. Um, and then they further say, we feel that it, in its desire to preserve the integrity of the courts, the convention has gone farther than is necessary or safe in putting them in the hands of a private professional group, however public-spirited its members may be. And what we have tried, as you know, is to have that in full, because that and that consultant report, by the way, never made it to the convention floor. They did not even, all the, the original delegates didn't get to see that. It was just something that was given to a few select members, and they decided not to bring it to the floor. So we're trying to identify that full report to show Chief Justice Carpinetti and all the other judges out there that say, oh, it's just a, a model. Our Constitution is a model for, um, you know, being apolitical and all that. It's just nonsense. Well, it's not, it was, it's Jim, from the very Jim, beginning, if, it was designed that way. If it's such a model, then explain to me why I watched former Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Carpinetti, sit in a judiciary hearing where I am testifying about, this is a couple of years ago, Senator Hughes was the chairperson. I was on the committee, but I swapped places to go sit and testify about that bill, that constitutional amendment. Carpinetti had one of his acolytes with him at the back of the room. They were acting like petulant children. Every time I would say something, they'd go, <laughs> they'd cough and laugh and snicker and make these, it got so bad, I had to stop talking, turn around and look at him and raise my eyebrows like, really, Carpinetti? I had to tell Senator Hughes that after that, because she wasn't noticing that, you know, what had happened. I said, did you see how Carpinetti was acting like a child in the back of the room? What? No. She went and looked at it. She's like, that's ridiculous. The next day when we, when we had public testimony and Carpinetti came up, she read him the riot act for two minutes. And he acted like this. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. Cause I'm looking, I'm going, Carpinetti, would you accept if a couple, you know, senators, state senators or legislators came into your courtroom and snickered in the back and caused a disruption because they didn't like what you were doing? You would yeah. absolutely shut it down, partner. That, and There's then you no got doubt. Nancy Mead, who that's right. And you got Nancy Mead, who was the legislature or, or the uh, liaison for the courts here in the legislature. She was told by the Supreme Court to go around and counter my legislation because they don't like it. I thought they're apolitical, Jim. They are so <laughs> political and so involved in the process. People don't see what they do. They're directing a taxpayer-funded individual to to go and lobby against a bill. <clears throat> How is that no, not political, it, partner? It, there's no doubt. In fact, at that point when Nancy Mead was asked, I can't remember who it was, but said, isn't there a conflict? It might have been in, the, in a – it could – I think it was a – is it Gruenstein, the, the former Democrat um, representative from Fairbanks, who's no 
ally of ours, but he he I remember asking someone. It was on the uh, the the House side. Uh, Nancy Mead, who was the legal counsel for the court, saying, listen, is there not a conflict with this? You're actually opposing a piece of legislation that may come before the court, and the court's legal counsel is opposing that legislation. It's, right? it's, it's madness. I mean, uh, so we have we have seen this, but I my my challenge is that as we've gone through trying to educate the public on activist judges with uh, these retention campaigns, that we've run three different times. The last one that uh, that we did with Justice Carney, despite the fact that we had folks all across the state in many many different high level positions in different political spheres. Um, the Alaska Native community, the domestic violence community, of course, the life community, um, just many different groups. We didn't even budge that number in terms of, uh, you know, she, she got uh, retained uh, by a, a wide margin again. So I don't think that's the answer in terms of when people say, well, let's just get the right people um, in, uh, you know, into you. this court and take them out when we need to with retention. That just doesn't work and it hasn't worked. So I'm going to take our first break here. When I come back, I want to talk a little bit more about um, SGR 2, which is the actual constitutional amendment that you've introduced Good. in terms of mem- membership of judicial council. So, folks, I'm, I'm, sp- I'm talking with uh, Senator Mark Shower out of the Valley, um, and uh, we're talking judicial reform. And there's a lot of things that are happening this year uh, where that can actually take place in Alaska. Stick around. We'll be right back here. And I'm glad you said that with uh, um, Senator Mark Shower. Hey guys, welcome back. Jim Minnery here, and I'm glad you said that. Um, if you haven't already gone to akfamily.org, you can do that, and then uh, through some of the sliders up on the screen, you can get to the I'm glad you said that uh, um, emblem or whatever, the image, and go to uh, sign up to become a podcast member. So if you're not able to listen to this on uh, KATB, or KVNT, we are also podcasted uh, on all the places you can do that. So right before we uh, we took the break, Mike, we were talking about um, you know efforts that have gone um, uh, that have been taken to amend the Constitution, um, but it's a high hurdle, is it not? Two thirds, in my view, and I've told people on other constitutional amendments that we've um, talked about. You know, we did that in '98 uh, with the marriage amendment. Um, and of course, that was overturned by Obergefell. Um, I don't see us having the ability to get two thirds on either side, possibly on the Senate side now, not even close on the House side, and maybe down the road we might be able to get two thirds in both chambers. But um, before we talk about the other option, which is the Constitutional Convention coming up, what is it that SGR two, uh, your bill, would change about the membership of the Judicial Council? So let's let's talk through because I got a better solution for you, but let's go through this one so people have heard the whole thing. Because you're right, at the end of the CONCON Constitutional Convention, is certainly a fallback that our framers of the Constitution put in there because they knew they could not foresee everything that may happen. And as the state changed, you know, there is a provision for the people to do that, but we'll discuss it. So let's go in order. Let's talk back to that constitutional amendment that we have done. The names like Pete Kelly, John Coghill, and others that have done this in the past always failed. I've tried it for three years. I've failed. And actually, John Cockhill is the one that asked me if I wanted to run it and take over for him because he couldn't get it done. Um, and, yeah. and I understand that. And so it is a high hurdle. It's something that's a tough one to change any kind of constitutional amendment in the legislature because the two-thirds number of the body is, is a tough number to get to. Right? And we, can't, we can't even pass a budget 
with a basic majority, right? So good luck getting a constitutional amendment done, right? Especially yeah. when it might be contentious. So what that does is it says for the Judicial Council, we're going to basically change, um, you know, how we select the judges that go to the governor, right? So, but without getting too far into the weeds on that one for folks, what I will tell you is what you had said, Jim, is that that is such a high bar and it's failed for so long. I have, and I don't like to use the words give up. It's not in my lexicon very well, but I've essentially realized that that's a, that's a bridge too far. We're, I put it out there so we have a, a springboard to talk about it. We can bring it up like we are in this radio program so people understand that, you know, you're always going to get outvoted by the Alaska Bar Associations. They control one-third of your government, and you have very little to no input in it because we just don't come out and vote in these retention um, elections, right, which you just talked about. So I have said, you know, that's not going to work. So strangely, ironically, before we would fall back on something like a constitutional convention, we found a solution. We found it last year, and we proposed a bill called Senate Bill 14, and we need to take some time and talk about this because what we realized was it was a eureka moment, myself and our staff, while we're sitting there going, how can we solve this problem? How do we get – because what's my intent? I'm not trying to make the courts hard right. I don't like them being hard left, though. I would like yeah. courts that are actually objective justice is blind, right? So that's what I'm yeah. interested in. How do we do that and get the people back to where the judiciary basically responds to and reflects the population of the state, right? Yeah. You want to yeah. see, like you said, when you go, it's two-thirds you know, upside down for the political representation of the Alaska Bar Association and the judiciary compared to the population. Something's probably wrong with that. So how do we fix it? So we looked at it and said, well, when you read the Constitution, it says, that the Supreme and the Superior Court justices will be picked by the Judicial Council. However, all of the other courts, districts, magistrates, appellates, it says all other courts shall be prescribed by law. What that means, Jim, is the legislature. The legislature has the power over those lower courts and putting people into them, and we abrogated that responsibility a long time ago. And what we realized was is if we change it so that the legislature now has a vote up or down, when the, when the names are put forward through the ABA to the Judicial Council, we said, no, 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 no. What should happen here is the branch that has the most representation of the people, the legislature, should have an up or down vote on those lower court appointments. Because, one, it says it in the Constitution, so we're not even following the Constitution as it is right now in that case. Two, we should take our responsibility back. Three, you would actually have a chance to put in the lower courts a balance of judges that came from a wide political background, right? They could, be, they could be independent, they could be libertarian, they could be Republican, Democrat, whatever, who cares? But instead of having one where a conservative judge or a Republican goes, man, I ain't put my name in that for the reasons I talked about 20 minutes ago in the program, they go, hey, I'm, I'm just putting in you know, a district court or whatever, and so I'm going to be in a lower court, so I'm going to go to the legislature, and the legislature is a much more balanced group across the state of, of you know, politicians, elected officials, and I will probably get confirmed, right? So we propose statutory change, Jim, no constitutional limit, no two-thirds, just a simple majority, on Senate Bill 14 to take back the legislature's power, the super branch, so-called, the one that has the most diverse representation because we're all elected every two to four years by the people from across this great state, and now you would have a chance for those lower courts to be appointed through and then approved by or rejected by the legislature, which is a much more direct footprint of the people into the process where now they essentially have done. And well, so it's interesting, we have, you know, I think, a much more elegant solution. One of the things that I didn't read on this, uh, so I read the thing earlier from uh, Vic Fisher's book, Alaska's Constitutional Convention, and how they had uh, a private consultant group come in and say very specifically 
um, that no state constitution, and I quote again, no state constitution has ever gone this far in placing one of the three coordinate branches of the government beyond the reach of democratic controls. Well, they not only said that, but then the consultants then suggested, this is back in statehood, a number of revisions that would, in their view, democratize the proposed system by providing for legislative confirmation of attorney members, which we've also tried to do. Um, They tried to add a superior court judge and another lay member to the membership of the council, and none of it even got to the convention floor for discussion. I mean, there was there was stuff going on then. I guess the question I would have about um, about this bill we just talked about is so that that cannot apply to superior and supreme court uh, uh, judges and justices. Is that right? This is just for lower courts. Not with that's correct. Not without changing the constitution. But remember, and this is the key part that I try to get people to understand: if the legislature was to take the power back that's already granted to it by the Constitution and not just give that power to the Alaska Bar Association for whatever reason they did years and years ago, guess where those nominees that go to the appellate, the magistrates, the district courts, where do they go over time? They eventually go to, you're right, they go up. But then the problem is that they would still have to go through the Judicial Council. Um, If they... Uh, if they, uh, you know, are they, let's say that the legislature confirms them in a lower district court uh, or a lower court, they still have to go through the judicial council, which is very, very politicized based on its membership, um, and you know, it's it's. Uh, refusal to, to put anyone in front of the governor that doesn't pass the muster of being a liberal, um, and. So the constitutional amendment regarding the membership of the council, were you just wanting – I'm trying to remember now. Is that adding an additional uh, uh, public member or is that uh, requiring that the attorney members get uh, confirmed by the legislature? We have a couple different ways of looking at it. You could do both because I was open to amendments because, as you well know, once you propose something, it's likely not going to survive in that original form. So I will say yes. <laughs> I feel strongly both yeah. ways. There's a number of ways we can solve the problem. So I'm not locked on one or the other. I just want to see a more fair and balanced system that allows the people to have a voice, what this does. And I agree with you what you're saying. However, remember that the problem we have discovered over the last couple of years working on this was that talking to lawyers and some retired judges, maybe even an active judge or two, but we'd never say that, right, because they'd be scared to death for people to know, um, right, (laughs) that the problem is, is that, they don't want to go through the initial process because they become outed as a conservative or Republican or whatever it is, and now they know they're going to be arguing in front of liberal judges. They fear that they're going to always have a bias against them. These are things they have told us, right? These are not hearsay. These are people that are scared to death in that system of having things held against them trying to do their job. So if they can make it through into the lower courts, become a district judge, you know, a, a appellate judge, whatever, they're through the process, right? So they're already a judge now. They're not going to be denied that they're in the system, you know, they're, they're doing their thing. If they did not make it through a very wickedly left, for example, you know, process in the judicial council, if that's who was running it, um, to be a superior Supreme Court judge, well, they just go back to being a district judge. Not a big deal, right? Because they're not going to be back just, just being a lawyer, having to argue in front of courts. It may be that if they ever go to a superior court, you know, and, and they're talking to somebody that they may not want to take their, you know, if they try to, like, say, move a, a case from his district court to a superior court, they may go, well, you know, we're not going to take that. You could certainly see that. But the, the biggest angst we have seen is that they don't want to go through the process knowing that they're going to get shut down as a conservative or Republican member. And so you've taken that away by making it where, this, where the legislature would have to have that up or down vote. Oh, by yeah. the way, 
in our bill, we also give the governor more choices. It's not just the two or so that the Judicial Council put up. We said the governor could pick two, and we said the Judicial Council gets those, right? So the governor would have a broader chance to pick more peop- from more people as opposed to the very, very limited and very left-leaning options that he gets now. Usually just he's picking, you know, the worst, you know, least worst pick, if, yep. you, know, if you kind of look exactly. at that perspective. But, but now he would have more. He could have up to like six. And, and he would have a chance to pick them and look at it. So there would be a, you know, you look at the judicial council, you go, nope, all left. Well, I'm going to pick a, a middle of the road or this or whatever. He would have some options, right? And that could work both ways. If you had a very conservative legislature and a, and a liberal governor, he would have an That's option. Right. If you had a conservative governor and liberal legislature, there'd be an, there's balance, Jim. That's back to what I'm saying. Right now we have an unbalanced system. We have a you know, very left-leaning folks, activist judicial branch. Yeah, there's no doubt right? that we have to have multiple flanks going at this. Folks, I'm speaking with uh, Senator Mike Shower here on I'm Glad You Said That. We're talking judicial reform, and we'll be right back after this message. When peace like a Jim Minnery with him. Glad you said that. Uh, we're chatting with uh, Senator Mike Shower out of the Matsu Valley about judicial reform, and I think we can agree that we have to take multiple. Um, we have to have multiple different um, attacks, as it were, to uh, to democratize, and that's the word that the uh, the constitutional consultants to the original. Um, constitution of the state of Alaska came up with, democratize it because it is so uh, politicized compared to um, every other state, according to the folks who provided that uh, consultancy report. So back to the Constitutional Convention, we're going to support and educate the folks on your bills, no doubt. We're going to continue to push for as much reform as we can um, push in regards to uh, legislature or legislatively. But we do get this once um, a decade opportunity um, for the Constitutional Convention. The big thing that we hear all the time is that it's Pandora's box. You don't know what you're going to get. It's like a box of chocolate. You're going to get some folks, depending on who the delegates are, <coughs> that are you know, left to center. And it could change everything from resource development to you know, the judiciary to who knows what. Um, I get that. But from my perspective, our primary issue, although we work on judicial reforms, school choice, um, family issues, our primary issue has to and always has been the life issue. And so especially with the um, with the Dobbs case coming down in the, the ruling that we think will finally overturn uh, Roe and bring the authority back to the states. As you know, the Alaska Supreme Court has manufactured a right to abortion in the penumbra is the lovely word that they like to use, uh, the liberals, to say, oh, it's in the shadows. It may not say exactly what you think it says, but you don't, you're not smart enough to figure out the penumbra and the shadow and what they actually mean when they, when they put together a constitution. So in their view, despite the fact that the privacy clause had nothing whatsoever to do about women's health, had nothing to do about abortion, uh, they believe that, it, that there's a, a right to abortion in the state constitution, and every single time we've passed any measure, uh, a preventative measure, or you know, put a guardrail up, uh, they have found that right. And so, even more so, after Roe, we need to remove them from that picture and clarify 
that the document, the state's uh, constitution, is neutral on the issue. And so Senator Shelley Hughes has introduced the language. It's passed in, I think, six other states, the latest being Louisiana. Five other states, including Alaska, now have an opportunity in November this year to advance this. But uh, there's no way, and Shelley knows that. She's just having the conversation, though, which is what we have to do on these issues, is not just say, well, we don't have the numbers, so we can't talk about it. The way we get the numbers is eventually talking about it and getting people elected that have eventually we have the ability to get two-thirds. We don't have that now, but we do have the vote. What's your take on the Constitutional Convention? I hate to put you on the hot seat, but hey, that's what uh, that's no. what we do. That's why we're here, Jim. But look, I, I have been very vocal and open uh, talking about it for the last year. About a couple months ago, I've told people I crossed that Rubicon, and I said it's time. And I have always voted against it. I have generally opposed it because there is danger with doing that, but I've never seen the point where I thought it was so bad that we really had to get the power back in the hands of the people. After four years here, watching what's been happening with issues, you could talk about life. You could talk about the PFD. You could talk about spending cap. You can talk about, you know, spending our savings for the future. You can talk about a host of issues, school choice, you name it, that the state has gone down the path of special interest controlling the actions of the legislature, what happens in the state with all of those issues. The people have lost control some time ago. So when I hear these arguments, and believe me, I've had them all myself with others and and some very – Wise men around the state, you would, re- you would recognize some names that I won't say right now, but to go, you know, Mike, I think it's time. These are people yeah. that you would go, oh, they would never vote for the Constitution. Oh, no. They've come around to going, yeah, you know what? It's time that we need to do that. I've crossed that line, Jim, and all of the arguments I hear, I think, don't hold enough water for me to stop it. Because I look at people now and they go, well, what about this and what about that? And, well, remember, this document, it's a good document. It's a good Constitution. I'm not saying there's anything bad except – when you look at it, it was a left-of-center document. It was written back when the state was a democratic state, controlled by the democratic process. Remember, there was a time where Alaska was Democrat and Hawaii was Republican. We switched <laughs> over the years. <laughs> it's a funny thing is historically people don't realize that. But the point is, is that I believe we have now reached a point where our founders are wise enough to go. There may be a point in which your legislature is dysfunctional, cannot get the job done, or doesn't have the best interests of the people at heart. We are giving you a way to take that power back. And the way you do that is to every 10 years, there will be on the ballot a note, a vote for a constitutional convention up or down. And I believe that I trust the people to do the right thing. I believe that we could vote for a constitutional convention. And because the state is not controlled by Democrats as it was when the Constitution was written and how things have voted in over the years, I believe this time when you elect 55 delegates or so, or depending on how it plays out, you would have a true representation of the population of the state. You would have Republicans. You would have Democrats. You would have more than one out of 55 Native delegates that would actually listen to the Native people and bring their voice because they had one, Jim, one out of 55. That is not that's a voice it. for the native people of Alaska. And you right? know what? That's so, interesting. It seems like – so you're saying that – because we we played that out uh, when we were doing the Justice Carney campaign because there were so many different angles. It still stuns me that we spent more money and had more messengers out there, legitimate Alaska native leaders, legitimate – I mean we had uh, multiple um, – legislators um and folks that tried to uh to get her non-retained and and she had uh she had better numbers than ever before in terms of getting elected it was just stunning but part of the reason that the Alaska native community came so far forward is that you know uh the 
they they there's there's not representation. The bottom line is that there's not representation. No. And uh, to to hear that there was just one out of 55, that should be enough to get the Alaska Native community, regardless of their politics, to come on board with this convention. The challenge, as always, is that the community organizing, politicized, Democrat uh, machine that exists to worship at the altar of big government is already raising money and forming groups to oppose it including Bill Walker, John Coghill, and Kathy Giesel, who are on that committee. And I'd love to have a a conversation with each of them who are pro-life or claim to be pro-life. I'm not doubting that conviction, but our main reason for doing is the life issue, although the judicial reform thing and and school choice are also important. But how do we do this? You're the first uh, that I've talked to. I guess maybe Senator Hughes has also come out. And when we press it, I'm sure there'll be other legislators who talk about uh, or who will support the constitutional convention but we're going to do our part to get the message out but it's going to be a david versus goliath is what i'm hearing from everyone every single time the constitutional convention has been called every 10 years it's been um you know the no votes have have been as high as the mid 70s um and i think the most we've ever had um, is 30-some percent of a yes. But there's also never been a full-throated campaign um, like we, I think that we should be able to have now regarding all these different issues that you mentioned. The PFD, I'm, I have to admit, I'm a little frustrated that Governor Dunleavy hasn't taken the lead on the Constitutional Convention. He still wants these uh, con, uh, constitutional amendments regarding the PFD, but we don't have two-thirds. I don't think we have two-thirds. I mean, even the PFD defenders... The group that formed for specifically for this issue told me that they're not looking toward a constitutional convention because they're going to go for this uh, constitutional amendment this session. And I'm like, but where are the numbers? We don't have the numbers. It's going to be another session where nothing happens. That's right. That's right. I, right now, I am the first and loudest legislator that's out speaking about this and saying this is the answer. People need to take it back into their hands. Don't be afraid of all of the fear-mongering you're going to hear from all of these people like Diesel and Cogno and Walker and others. Why? Ask the question, Jim. Ask the salient question. Why? Who are they that are opposing a constitutional convention, and who is supporting it? Look at who they are. The Walkers, the Geesels, the Cogno. They're big government. They are yep. uh, anti-PFD. They yep. are for the unions and the support. And look at the people that are saying yes to the Constitutional Convention. They support the permanent fund dividend. They want the power back in the hands of the people. They want to restrain our spending. Look at who's supporting and look at who's opposing. That alone, folks, ought to tell you who you really there, want. There's no doubt. Why you want I mean, to the Constitutional Convention. It's clear. Yeah, I, I, you know, and it comes down to money. I hate to say it because, you know, in order to get the message out, you have to have money. And in almost every case, uh, there's outside money that comes in. I personally don't have a huge issue with outside money. Hey, you know what? We, we, we've we asked for outside money lots of times. I'll take money from wherever I can get as long as it's not tainted. But, we, you know, certainly Planned Parenthood is outside and, and they spend tons of money in this state to try to promote abortion. Mm-hmm. But I do think that uh, we have to um, pull out all the stops, and um, I'm just grateful for for what you're doing down there, uh, Senator Shower. It's really, really a pleasure to chat with you, and I, I can't thank you enough for being on the show today. We're out of time, um, but uh, let's do it again, uh, and let's talk about the Constitutional Convention specifically, and we'll go over this for a half an hour and talk our way through it. I'd love to. Do yeah, that I soon. can't. I, yeah, because a lot of it is just misunderstanding. It's amazing to me how many conservatives yep. I've talked to, Christian conservatives who just 
don't know anything about it and they're hesitant. So we have an opportunity. It's just educating people and continuing to pound the drum. So um, thanks for all you do, my friend. God bless you. Hope to see you down there and uh, just keep doing what you're doing. You too, Jim. Take care of yourself. I appreciate the time. You bet. God bless. Folks, we'll be uh, back next week, but I'm glad you said that. Have a great day.